The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Good morning, everyone. That was sort of a short reading, but it has something to do with uh, our attitude in this life. And Basically, the, the uh, 70 men that were sent out, two by two, that Luke is talking about, were sent out with some power, and that power was to uh, work miracles. They could heal the sick, and they could tread on serpents, and they could do a, a number of wonderful things, and they were happy about that. Matter of fact, you probably, if you could envision 70 men coming back with good news, they were probably jumping for joy. And Jesus said that uh, they could rejoice, they could have happiness about that, but they ought to be happier because their names are written in heaven. Now, we sang about that this morning. I think Art picked most of the song to talk about how happy we're going to be when we go to heaven. They were jubilant. These people were. We're jubilant when we think about that as well. And we're, uh, the, the feeling of anticipation may be, when we stand before the judgment throne of God, the feeling of anticipation may be one of, I hope I hear my name written there and called, and I'll go into a place that's filled with happy people and happy things. Jesus is telling these people that there's a good personal cause for their happiness. Now, I'm using the word happy. I'm going to use another word in just a minute. But he, he uses the term rejoice. We, we understand what that means. It means to be glad. The implication in this is that there is a good reason for you to be a happy person, to be happy. From my personal research, and you've probably done some yourself, I'm not sure whether you've researched this particular word or not. From my personal research, I've found that happiness is difficult to define in psychological or philosophical terms. How do you define it? Well, you say it, it's, uh, it looks like the smile on the face of a child. It looks like a person that's beaming with happiness. But really... We can recognize it in our lives and we understand how it feels and we can anticipate it coming on when we begin to feel better about ourselves and about our circumstances. We begin to feel a buoyancy of spirit. Our spirits are lifted. A pleasant personality may be defined as happiness. A light in the eyes a spring in the step, even laughter. We, we, uh, we, can, we can actually understand that without having to define it. If we were to give a general definition of happiness, we'd say it's a feeling of well-being or feeling of contentment. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. We can even sense when it's approaching. We, we can sense when we are feeling better 
about our circumstances and feeling better about ourselves and about our surroundings. It's a feeling. It feels good. The difficulty is in defining it. How do you define it? How do you know what it is when it's coming? How, how can I explain to you what happiness really is? Well, we're not the only ones having difficulty with this. Philosophers over the centuries have not been able to define happiness. Did you know that? They can see it in others. They can feel it in themselves, but they cannot describe it or define it. The ancients struggled with it. The modern philosophers have actually coined a word from the Greek, eudaimonia. That's the word, but it still doesn't define it, does it? doesn't tell you what it is. It's simply a term. The ancients, like Aristotle said, it's a good feeling. That's what happiness is, a good feeling. Modern philosophers have tried to define it. Maybe the idea of contentment or feeling of well-being is as close as we're going to get to definition. So instead of defining it, what philosophers have done is they've they've tried they've tried to uh, they've 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 tried to define it in terms of gauging it. How do you gauge when a person is happy? And so they not only have come up with gauges, but they've come up with shorthand for the gauges. For instance, there is the shorthand SWB. The philosophers called happiness. How you define it is SWB. Subjective well-being. So they're not trying to figure it out in you. They're trying to figure it out in themselves. That's what subjective means. You can't always tell when somebody else is happy. Oh, they may, they may whistle. Or they may hum. Or they may smile. But sometimes that's hiding something that's not happiness. Do you see what I'm saying? You really know happiness when you feel it. When you sense it within yourself. SWB, subjective well-being. Other philosophers have uh, attempted to measure it. Well, if we, can't, if we can't define it, let's measure it. Let's see if we can put it on a scale somehow, weigh it. No, we can't weigh it. Let's measure it somehow by, by asking people how they feel about it and asking them certain questions so that we can get some idea of what it is. In the 20th century, there was a scale of happiness proposed in order to define what it is. Several of them, as a matter of fact. One scale is called the SHS, which is Subjective Happiness Scale. Four levels of happiness. They define four levels. Here, If you're on one of these levels, you're happy. If you're not, you're not. That's the idea. So we're not really defining it. We're simply trying to scale it. We're trying to trying to figure out what it feels like to you. Another scale was the positive and negative effect scale. P-A-N-A-S is what it's called. That asks 20 questions. We'll ask you 20 questions. And used a five-point Leckert scale. You know what a Leckert scale is? Generally, you probably don't. But basically, I'll tell you what it's like. A Leckert scale is like this. 
The doctor says, on the scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the pain? That's a Likert scale. You say, well, it's 1, which means I hurt a little bit. But he, really, all you're doing is, is getting some kind of scale of how you feel, and they're trying to figure out how you feel. So basically, this PANAS is trying to find out how you feel on a scale of 1 to 20, maybe, or 1 to 5. Then there is the uh, satisfaction with life scale. That's called the SWLS with the seven-point liquor scale. So there's several, there's several seven points that, they could, that you can find yourself on. Others have used poles. Here's how we're going to define happiness. We're going to, we're going to take a poll, find out how many people are happy, and how, why are you happy. Gallup took a poll rating happiness from 1 to 100. So you've got a large poll so that people can tell you how happy they are on a scale of 1 to 100. That's pretty broad. The uh, World Happiness Scale, WHR, is asking participants how happy are you on a 1 to 10 scale. That's like your, your pain scale with the doctor. It's safe to conclude, I think, that happiness is a feeling that you can experience, but you cannot describe. Okay? You can somehow tell others how you feel on the scale, but you can't really describe what it is. It's hard to describe, but it's easy to recognize in yourself, and it's a, a, a natural, normal emotion. Our U.S. Constitution thought it was so important as to guarantee the pursuit of happiness. Did you know that? Our Constitution says that your happiness is in peril, and we're going to guarantee you the right to chase it. And we do. We, uh, we pursue happiness like we chase the rainbow. We're after it. It's such a desirable emotion that we pursue it indiscriminately. Wherever we want, wherever we think we can find happiness, that's where we go after it. We want it. And sometimes to our own destruction. We almost demand it. As if it's our God-given right to be happy. And if we're not happy, then we're unhappy and we're displeased and we don't have a sense of contentment or well-being. This is the great appeal of alcohol and drugs. If you're not feeling happy, the way you get happy is you drown your sorrows and problems in alcohol or you mask them in drugs. Very often we express, we, we expect other people to make us happy. And that's a tragedy. Other people cannot make you happy. They may alleviate some of the problems. If we think other people can make us happy, it invariably leads to disappointment. We're going to be disappointed in other people. We're almost helpless. I'm helpless in making you happy. I can't make you happy. Uh, I try to cheer you up. Cheer up. When I, when I see that you're, you're unhappy, I try to cheer you up. Or I'll write you a card, a greeting card. Well, we're making, I'm sure people writing greeting cards are making millions of dollars off of people's unhappiness trying to make them happy. That's what a greeting card's all about. It's a bromide. 
It's something somebody's saying to you to get you to cheer up, to lift your spirits. But we're limited. We're severely limited in that. There are limits to our ability to provide happiness in someone else. Sometimes we cannot even get it ourselves. But, my friend, God is not so limited. I'm going to pause right here. Thank you, Art, for those songs you sang this morning. You did what the 70 were trying to do, and Jesus was pointing them out to something else. Jesus said, think about your names written in heaven. That's what we were doing this morning, thinking about our names written in heaven. And that made us happy, made us rejoice. However, I want you to understand this, that God wants you happy now. Not just when you think about heaven, but He wants you to be happy now. And He can make you happy. And He does this through His Son, Jesus Christ. He does what no other human being can do for you. He can make you happy permanently. He can lift your spirits. He can cheer you along the way. He can make you feel content within yourselves. And He can give you a permanent sense of well-being. He can provide for you a positive outlook on life, not just because of your circumstances right now, but even in spite of those circumstances. He can lift your spirit. He can cheer you. He can give you a sense of well-being that you can't get anywhere else. Not at the drugstore. Not in the bottle. He can give you happiness not from what your friends say or your relatives or your spouse or your parents or your children, even though they can, they can lift you up at times. God can lift you up, give you contentment and well-being and a sense of happiness all the time. He can. Now, rejoicing, as Jesus said, these men came back rejoicing. They were doing their happy dance. They were celebrating. And Jesus said, you can celebrate, but remember, you can celebrate more if you think about your names being written in heaven. Rejoicing actually talks about, as a matter of fact, it, it talks about getting happy. It's, it's, actually, it's actually the word that means feeling good. He can, God can make us happy. And so if, if we understand that, then the place we have to look for that happiness is in the Word of God. That's where we, where we find it. That's what we're talking about this morning. If I'm looking for something that God has to do with, I have to look at the communication He has given to me through His Word, what He's, what he's told me. He said, okay, Bill, here's where you look for it. Here's what I have for you in, in store. Because we're talking about how God makes us happy, we have to look for direction in the Old and New Testament for our, for our own, essentially, feeling better about ourselves. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the word we find that connotes that term of happiness is the word blessing. Now, that's the English term. There are some Greek terms and some Hebrew terms that are translated blessing, and there are, there are a whole lot of them. But this is how God communicates to us how we should have a feeling of self-contentment or well-being, how we should feel good about our life with Him and about our circumstances. Okay? That's the word blessing. Now that word blessing translates two main words 
in the Hebrew. One is the word Barak, and the other's word is the word Ashur. Now, Barak is the word that means praise. So when you read, sometimes you read in the Old Testament about blessing, you may be reading about something about blessing the God of Abraham. Now, that's not talking about making God happy. That's not what that word means. That word Barak means praise or adulation. We're lifting him up. So we lift him up in our thinking. We lift him up in our lives. We lift him up in our joy and our singing and so forth. We lift up his name. Blessed be the God of Abraham. Blessed be the God of Isaac. Blessed be the God of our fathers. This is the term Barak, which means to praise. The other word is the word Asher. And it means make you happy. Make you feel good. That's what that word means. And so you read it in places like this. In Psalms chapter 1, at verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's saying happy is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There is a way for you to be content. There is a way for you to feel good about yourself. To feel good about your fellow man. Okay, Psalms 144.15, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Now that's the Old Testament word. The word Barak means to praise God, and you'll find that a number of times. And you have to look at it in its context, really. The English word blessed. Look at it in its context, and you can see whether he's saying, here's how we're adoring God or we're, we're setting forth praise to God. And here's when we're talking about feeling good about God and about the things of God. In the New Testament, there, the, there, the two words are this. One is the word eulogetos. You know what a eulogy is, don't you? It's when somebody stands up at a funeral or some other time and begins to tell about all the good things that someone has done and lifted them up. That's the word eulogy, and that's the word eulogatos, and that's in the New Testament. And that, that word, basically, the word eulogatos in the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians 1 at verse 3. It's translated blessing. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying happy is God. He's saying God is to be praised because he's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans 1 at verse 25, God is the Creator who is blessed forevermore. We're lifting him up. That's what that word means, blessed. But then there's the word blessed that means makarios, which means to make happy. That means to lift your spirits, to cheer you up, to make you feel good. And you know what? God wants you to feel good. Not just because you're going to heaven, but for a number of other reasons. He wants you to feel good about yourself. He wants you to feel good about your fellow man. He wants you to feel good about him. He wants you to feel good about your life. So for our purposes, we can use the word happiness in, term, in, in, in lieu of the term blessed when it comes across in that word makarios. Now God has a scale. I, I, I introduced some scales to you, some liquor scales, didn't I? Here's a five-point scale. If you can find yourself somewhere in here, you can see how happy you are. Here's a 20-point scale. Here's a seven-point scale. Here's a hundred questions for you to ask. God has a scale of happiness in the New Testament. Did you know that? 
And it's there in full sight for us, right at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. A happiness scale. Nine-point happiness scale. Here it is. Matthew 5 at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the word happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Now, he's talking about believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ, even though you're poor in spirit, you have a sense of well-being. Get it? You feel good. You don't have to you don't have to be a king or a queen or a prince or you don't have to be a, a a financial magnet. You don't have to be any of these things that the world adores. You don't have to be prideful. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to feel like you're better than everybody else in the world and that you're on top of everybody else. No, as a matter of fact, you can be happy because you're humble. That's what he says. Are you happy because you're humble? Or are you happier when you have control of everybody else? When you're the leader? When you're the top dog? Now you're happy. No. He says, here's how you get happy. Here's my scale of happiness for you. When you are humble, not arrogant, you have values the same as your Savior's, you're an honorable person, and by the way, you're happy. Matthew 5 verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, just knowing that God cares when we are <coughs> grieving, when we've lost a loved one, when we've lost, perhaps we've lost our financial support, perhaps we've lost a treasure, perhaps we've lost something of value to ourselves, and we're mourning over it. Jesus said, Happy are you how can I be happy when I've lost things, when I'm despondent? Because I don't care how many of you say to me, cheer up, Bill, it'll get better. <laughs> that doesn't help me. But when God says cheer up, it'll get better. It will. Because I know He has His hand on my shoulder, my trembling shoulder, when I'm crying and I'm sad. I know He's there and I can be happy. That's the scale of happiness for me. By faith, I can feel the arm of the Lord on my trembling shoulders when I'm weeping. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He didn't say they, they won't mourn, they won't grieve. He says they shall be comforted. And that's comforting, isn't it? Okay. Number three. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. You remember Abraham was told, I'll give you this land. He, he, he said, get out of the land of your fathers and I'll give you this land. I'll give you this promise. It'll all be yours. And yet Hebrews 11 says he was not given so much as to put his foot on the land. Here this text says that the believer, because they are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Okay. Maybe I don't own anything at all. Maybe I don't have any possession at all. But the earth, God gave me the earth. Did you know that? God gave it to you as a believer. He gave you that. He made this place for everyone. He made the whole earth for us. As a believer, I can understand that. I can see that. And I can feel good about that. You say, well, Bill, you don't own that much. No, I don't. But I do own what God has given me. 
I do own the ability to look at it and say, look at the flowers that God has given. Look at the beauty that's all around me. Look at the sky. Look at the, look at the stars in the heavens. Look at the, look at the way the earth revolves, rotates, and, and moves around and how that we have gravity and so forth. And look at, look at all the flora and the fauna that's here. And I can enjoy that. That's mine. That's all mine. Because God created the earth to be enjoyed for the pleasure, for our pleasure. And if I believe that and if I know that, then I can feel good about that even though I don't have a whole lot of possessions. I do have the earth and the sky and the birds and the bees and the, the animals all around me and I have all this beauty that God has given and I can have that. That's mine because God gave it for to me. I don't have to stake a claim on it and say, don't stand on this because this is mine. It's all mine. It's, it's what God has given us. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Well, everyone wants to be right. I know you came here this morning wanting to be right. You wanted to be right last night. When you were in an argument with a friend, you wanted to be right. When you were in a, in a dispute with someone and you thought you were right and they were wrong, you wanted to be right. We all want to be right. We all want to know that we're doing the right thing and we're not doing the wrong thing. And when we do the wrong thing, we can get forgiveness for that and move on. We all want to be right. And that's what this text says. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who want to be right. How can we know we're right? Because we have someone who is going to guide us through this maze of life down here below and take each issue that comes about in our lives and tell us that which is right and that which is wrong, and we can choose the right. Isn't that correct? Now, there's a feeling of contentment in that. I know that I'm right when I'm following Jesus Christ. I can feel good about that. I don't have to worry about it. Someone says, well, how do you know that it's right to do this and wrong to do that? Because Jesus told me so. Because I have the Word of God. Because I know what He has said, and I believe that. So there's a, this, this whole world is in a big uproar over right and wrong. Who knows what's right and who knows what's wrong? Sexually, morally, ethically, all of this is all a confused maze. And yet, I can be happy, I can be content, because I know what's right and I know what's wrong. Because I know who is right and who is wrong. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful. Matthew 5 verse 7. They shall obtain mercy. This is what Hosea said back in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And this is what Jesus quoted. Remember, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath day. Well, <clears throat> the, the Pharisees and scribes are jumping up and saying, you can't do that on the Sabbath day. You, you have to find some other day of the week to do it. And Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I will have mercy. How good does it feel to have mercy? You know what Jesus is saying? When somebody wrongs me, I can forgive them. I can be merciful to their inadequacies. Can you be merciful when somebody wrongs you? When somebody sells something about you that's bad? Can you, can you exercise mercy? Can, can you feel good about that? Can you offer grace to those 
who make a mistake? Well, as believers, and if we follow Jesus Christ, if we know that we can extend mercy to those who need mercy and compassion to those who need compassion, that gives us and should give us a sense of contentment and well-being. And that's what he's saying. Happy. He's actually saying you're a happy person when you do that. You're really a happy individual. Get a smile on your face. Get a spring in your step. Feel jubilant about this thing. Because God gave you that ability and gave you that right and gave you, gave you that direction to feel good. Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed the pure in heart, they shall see God. Remember when uh, Thomas said, I, I don't think I'm going to believe in that Jesus rose from the dead unless I can stick my fingers palms of his hands where he had the wounds, poke my heart, hand in his side. I don't think I can do that. When he did that, and Jesus came and presented himself, then Thomas saw that and he said, he fell down on his knees and he said, my God, my Lord. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you believe, but blessed are those who, having not seen me, yet believe. Guess what? You can see Jesus. You can see God. The first way you see God is when you see Jesus. The next time you see God is when you see Jesus. And when you see Jesus is when you see Him through the eyes of faith. You know that He lives. That's contentment. You know that. Your faith braces you to that. Your faith tells you that He is alive. We know where to look for God. We look for God in other people. We look for Jesus in other people. And we see Him. And we see Him in our own lives. And we see Him in His blessed Word. Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. Here's a disturbing one, isn't it? We enjoy, I think, <clears throat> feeling bad about certain things. We enjoy the adrenaline rush of vengeance, don't we? Somebody cuts us off on the freeway and we shake our fist at them and we want to get even get back ahead of them. You see what I'm talking about? Vengeance. Vengeance is mine, God said, but we want some of it ourselves. And that, my friend, is disturbing. You wronged me, I want to get even. Right? You said something to me, I want to say something to you. That's disturbing. That does not give you a sense of well-being does not make you happy. You say, well, I'm happy when I get even. No, you're not, because they're not happy we've got even. They're going to make you unhappy because they're going to get even. This is, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a continual loop. We have abandoned, because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have abandoned the rush of payback and vengeance. That's why we have contentment or can have contentment in following peace with all men. Then Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, there's contentment in knowing this. A believer knows whose side they're on. You're on the side of angels, by the way. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When you suffer persecution, you stand for the right principles, the right morals, right behavior, and you're willing to suffer for those principles, that should make you happy. 
5.11 Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Believers are content to be identified with the greatest human being that ever lived on this earth. Doesn't that make you feel good to know you're with Jesus? He's your friend. You're His friend. That's contentment. I want to look at the way Luke recorded this. That's the nine points. Luke recorded his uh, scale this way. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus lifted up His eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, you'll laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day. He said rejoice. What what he's saying is, you are a happy person, and you can do your happy dance, because you feel good. You have a sense of well-being. You are happy when you're standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Leap for joy, he said. And behold, your reward is great in heaven. It's even out there, but it's here too. In like manner did their fathers under the prophets. The upshot of all this is this. The upshot of what I've been saying is that the Holy Spirit has used the term blessed so many times. Meaning to adore God, to praise but meaning so, so many times, get happy. Feel better. Feel content. Get on top of this world is what the Bible is telling us, what God is telling us. Not only that, not only does He want us to be happy, He is the only one who can truly make us happy and content. He's the one who has the power to cheer us up. His greeting card is in the Bible. Read that. Read the New Testament. We struggle to be happy and stay happy because life is full of difficulties. Is yours? Do you have any problems? I hope you forgot them this morning, but let me just go back and think about them. You got some problems? Got some difficulties? Difficulties with family, difficulties with friends, difficulties with neighbors, difficulties with finances, difficulties with jobs. Do you have any problems? Well, if you don't, you're not a human being. <laughs> but we have someone that we can trust that can lift that burden and make us happy and make us forget our problems. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's what Job said in Job 14.1. Our troubles and our worries overwhelm us oftentimes. But God can and He does alleviate those troubles. But he does it in his own way and in his own time and the way he proposes. I don't know how he's going to take care of your troubles or mine, but he will. Now that's what, that's what he promised. Matthew 6.33, when will he do it? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. There are very few things in life that are permanent that can be depended upon. And certainly we don't have anyone that we can look at and say, well, that person is going to make me happy. That person is going to make me happy. But God will, and God can. Now we know that. God can make you happy. 
He can lift your cares and troubles. He can, and He will. Psalms 25, verse 2, David said, Oh my God, I trust You. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. That's what David said. Psalms 37, 5, he said, I'll commit my way to the Lord. I'll trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. He will. God can do things for you that nobody else can do. Ever. Nobody else. He can take care of us and solve our problems if we trust Him. If we trust Him. I do not have to know how He's going to manage my accounts. I just have to know that He said He would. That's what I have to know. Now I'd like to see what's, how He's going to do it. So I'd like to peek over the horizon and look at tomorrow, but I can't. I'm too short. I can't see over today and see into tomorrow. But God's not too short. He sees tomorrow. I'm not big enough to throw off all the weights of my difficulties and my problems. And I probably have as many of you do as you do. Maybe not. Maybe you have burdens that, are, that I couldn't even imagine. You're not big enough to throw them off. You can't get them off. But God is big enough. He can take all of your problems away. Nothing too big for Him. And I'm not strong enough to carry my own burdens. But God is. Jesus is. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can be happy. We can be happy. God wants you to be happy and you can be happy. Follow Him. He will take care of it. He's promised through His Son to care of all your needs when you walk with Him and you follow Him. He will do that. He's even promised when there's a big storm that your house won't blow over. It'll still be there for you because you built it on the rock and the rock is Jesus Christ. Let's sing a happy song of invitation. Art, let's all stand.